Heavenly Father, we thank thee for the gift of thy Son, Jesus Christ, who feeds us with his very life in the sacrament of his body and blood. Bless us, O God, that we may be living tabernacles of his presence and be the light, his light, in the world. Through Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord. Amen. Okay. Please be seated. Um, firstly, I, uh, I'm, I'm winging this one because I misunderstood Deacon Perveen's email. Uh, it's that he can't be here next week, and I thought he couldn't be here this week. So anyway, so I'm, I'm kind of winging this one. Last time we, we did look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verse 16. Where, it's, uh, where Paul speaks uh, the words, um, the cup that we bless, is it not a communion, the Greek word koinonia, with the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a communion, a koinonia, with the, uh, bread, uh, with the body of Christ? Um, this is one passage where the name Holy Communion comes from. The idea that we are partaking in holy communion. And literally, we are communing with Jesus Christ. And so it's very Trinitarian in that, that the, the bread and wine becomes the body and blood of Christ by the Spirit of God. And so the Spirit enables us to become partakers in Jesus Christ himself and in salvation history. And then it's in Jesus that we know, come to know God as our Father. And so it's the Holy Spirit who brings us into the life of Jesus, and it's in Jesus that we know the Father. And so the Holy Communion comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Also, um, in chapter 11 in 1 Corinthians, Paul uh, speaks of the Lord's Supper. And so... Some traditions will also refer to uh, the Holy Communion as the Lord's Supper. Uh, then there's also the, the, uh, the Holy Eucharist, the Holy Eucharist, which is one of the more ancient names for uh, what we might call the Mass, the Holy Eucharist. And that comes from the Greek word meaning thanksgiving that uh, Jesus Christ has uh, uh, offered himself for us, and we uh, join him in that offering, and we offer our praise and thanksgiving to God for salvation in him. And then we are strengthened uh, by him through the sacrament of his body and blood. And so thanksgiving. The name Mass, the Mass, sometimes people will make fun of it. Oh, it comes from... Um, when the Mass was over, to be dismissed. And so people will say, well, why would we call it the Mass when it, you know, you're sending people away? But the idea is that having been nourished by Christ himself through uh, the whole, his Holy Word and his sacrament, we then go out into the world to be the very presence of Christ and to share the good news that we have received to share Christ whom we have received with others. And so it's the idea that what we are doing is carried on. It's carried into the world. 
because we are called not to be uh, of the world, but in the world. Okay. And so we go forth bringing that. The name divine liturgy, liter liturgy means the work of the people. Divine liturgy would be uh, God being present in working through his people in worship. And that's typically used in the Eastern tradition. So uh, divine liturgy, the mass, uh, the Eucharist, which is the great thanksgiving, uh, Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper, uh, all names that emphasize something in particular about what it is that we are doing, what it, we are doing. Also known as the breaking of the bread, which uh, is a, a, a biblical way that the, the um, writers of the New Testament uh, referred to Holy Communion, the breaking of the bread. And so having said that, we're going to look just briefly at the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2. Verse 37, where we will see uh, a connection between baptism and Eucharist. It says, now when they those to whom the apostles were preaching, heard this, that is the good news, the gospel, they were cut to the heart. That is, the Spirit was moving within them, having heard the gospel, they were desiring to receive the gospel. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? That is, what shall we do to be saved? Now that we have heard the gospel, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent literally to turn your life around, to face the Lord, uh, to turn from the darkness toward the light, from the lie to the truth, from death to life, from the world to the word of God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And so we see here baptism. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise, that's covenant language, for the promise is to you and to your children and to all that are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other words and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word, that is the apostolic word that calls people of the world to repent and to receive the word, uh, those who desired to be saved, what does Peter say to them? Be saved, right, from this, uh, and be delivered from this crooked generation, those who received his word were baptized. And three, and there were added that day, that is added unto the church, the family of God, into the covenant, about 3,000 souls. Now here's the part where I want to emphasize. And they, the newly baptized, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, so if you're baptized, you don't follow your own ways 
or what do I believe? But rather you receive what God has revealed in his son, Jesus Christ, and proclaimed through his word in the Holy Apostles. The Apostles' teaching and fellowship to be in communion with the Apostles in the body of Christ. And then it says, and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And that word uh, for prayers there in Greek is, is the prayers. That is, this isn't just referring to spontaneous prayer. This is referring to liturgical prayer, actually. Um, but the newly baptized devoted themselves to these things, including the breaking of the bread. That is to participating in the life of Christ. So what has begun in baptism is realized, lived out, nurtured, nourished, strengthened by Holy Communion. So if you think of Holy Baptism as being spiritually born into Christ, then one has to be spiritually fed in Christ. If you think of baptism as being uh, when we become members of the bride of Christ, right? So in one, that's the wedding day, then this is the living out of the marriage. The marriage is realized and nurtured and nourished and strengthened uh, by receiving Holy Communion, the Lord's body and blood. So now we're going to turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. But before we go um, any further, are there any, any questions so far or, or thoughts that you want to share? Yes. The, the prayers, the, the, the liturgical prayers. Um, in, the, in the times of, of Jesus, um, there were liturgical prayers that had been uh, developed by the, by the rabbis and, and the teachers, and certain rituals are prescribed in the Bible itself. Um, the hymns were the Psalms. So much of it is based uh, either directly or indirectly on, on Scripture. And this continued in the early church as well, where prayers uh, were um, written down and eventually solidified within the life of the community and then spread from, from there. And they were time-tested. Um, not every hymn that has ever been sung is in the hymnal. Some things are for a time and then they fall, fall away. Um, but other uh, hymns have remained and have uh, um, lasted the test of time. And these are the ones that, that we have. So the prayers come from um, the scriptures, directly or indirectly. And are, uh, in the New Testament prayers, um, uh, things come right from the scripture. Some scriptures, though, come from ancient creeds and uh, ancient prayers and hymns. Um, for example, uh, in uh, St. Paul's letter to the Philippians, I believe it's chapter 2, um, where it speaks about the mind of Christ and how he emptied himself, uh, taking the form of a slave, even unto death, death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Most liturgical scholars believe that this was a hymn 
of the ancient church. And, and Paul's referring, uh, referring to it. But things would solidify over time. Uh, for example, um, uh, most people, uh, and you'll, you'll pick up on this too very shortly if you haven't already. If I begin my sermon with uh, glory to God who has given us salvation in his son Jesus Christ, everyone, it's not written down anywhere, but everyone will respond, glory to God forever and ever, amen. Well, just years ago, I got into the lectern to preach, and that just came out of my mouth, and I kind of liked it, so I said it for a few weeks in a row. People started giving the response with me, and now it's just part of the <laughs> the liturgical uh, um, uh, local customary uh, of, of this parish. And so that's kind of how things, you know, developed, uh, you know, uh, in, in time. Um, but they were devoted to prayer. There's both spontaneous prayer. What I like about the Acts of the Apostles here is that you, there's spontaneous prayers and people even speaking in tongues here. And then you, but there's a clear reference to liturgical prayer as well you know so good question though thank you robert they devoted themselves to the breaking of the bread okay now we turn to chapter six verse Um, let's start at verse uh, 41. The Jews then murmured at him, that is Jesus, because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. Now, of course, for the Jews, there's the bread of presence that is kept in the temple. And there's the bread of heaven, the manna, the heavenly manna that fed the people in the wilderness. And now here Jesus himself is saying, I am the bread of heaven. I am the bread that's come down. And of course, he's born in Bethlehem, which means the house of bread or the tabernacle of bread. And he's placed in a manger in a feeding trough. So he has come to give his life, and to nourish us with his life. And of course, being both God and man, uh, fully God, fully man, apart from sin, he is sharing with us, uh, uh, allowing us to share in, in his divine life. And we become, as St. Peter says, partakers of the divine nature because we share in Jesus. Um, but the, So the Jews, they murmured, because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Okay. So what they're saying is, look, we know him. We know that he was born of Mary. And of course, they don't understand the incarnation here. And so they assume that Joseph is his father biologically, is his father by adoption, but uh, um, God the Father is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So they're saying, look, 
how can he say he's come down from heaven when we know he was born of these two? Jesus answered them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Uh, This is the beginning of Jesus associating the uh, receiving the bread of life, receiving him in what will later be instituted as the sacrament of his body and blood and the resurrection on the last day. As St. Ignatius refers to it, the, the, the medicine of immortality. Holy Communion is the medicine of immortality. Okay. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. So Jesus himself being Emmanuel is God with us, God in the flesh. Jesus Christ, one person with two natures, fully God, fully man apart from sin. So to hear the voice of Jesus is to hear the voice of God. To see the face of Jesus is to see the face of God. And to be fed by his word and his sacrament is to be fed by God himself. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except him who is from God. He has seen the Father. Because Jesus, in his also being one of the Trinity, one God, three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Son of God, God the Son, becoming man in the person of Jesus, knows the Father from all eternity. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. So I am. Again, the way God uh, revealed himself to Moses. When Moses asked, you know, who, who do I say sent me? Right? If you remember, oh God, with uh, um, uh, George Burns, and he gives him his card, it says God on it, right? Well, in actuality, that's not what God said, really. Um, uh, I am. I am. In other words, I am life. I am reality. I am existence. All things come from me. And so Jesus, again, identifying himself as God, says, I am, and then identifies himself with the bread of life. I am the bread of life. The bread of life is me. Doesn't that refer back to the burning bush? I am. Yes, I, I am. Yeah, that's when he says that. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. You see, because that was a foreshadowing of the true bread that has come down from heaven, our Lord Jesus Christ, who will feed us with the gift of his own life. And when we partake of him, we partake of eternal life, and therefore we shall never die. Right? But apart from the coming of Christ, that bread that came from heaven in the wilderness would have sustained them for, you know, for a time, but they all died. Your fathers ate the men in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that a man may eat of it and not die. So we who partake of Christ initially in baptism, 
being joined to Christ and becoming members of his church, and then in members of the body, then being fed and nourished with his word and with his sacrament, are partakers in eternal life. You will not die, and in fact, not only will your soul continue, but one day your body shall be raised and reunited with your soul on the last day because you have shared in the life of Jesus and he is eternal life. Verse 51, he says it again, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. So again, he associates himself with the bread, which is no ordinary bread, it's living bread, that is spirit-blessed bread, living bread, life-giving bread. I am the living bread, the living bread is me, which comes down from heaven. So this isn't ordinary bread and wine. This is a spiritual food. This is something heavenly that we're partaking of. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. So again, he's associating it with eternal life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it's associated with the death of Christ. Here, Jesus speaks of his resurrection and our resurrection on the last day and eternal life. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever And the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. So I am the living bread which has come down from heaven. If you eat of this bread, you will live forever. And the bread which I shall give, Lord, why are you giving it? For the life of the world. He says it right here. Lord, what is this bread that you give for the life of the world? He says it here, is my flesh. So Jesus says, I am the living bread. The spirit blessed bread is me, which came down from heaven. So this is not a partaking of something purely earthly. This is something heavenly. If you eat of this bread, you will live forever. So there's there's a, because Christ is, uh, um, um, identifies himself with the living bread and we partake of the living bread, we then partake in Christ. And because Christ is eternal life, we have eternal life. And he gives this bread for the life of the world and it is his flesh. You know how I know? Because he says so. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now this could just as easily today say, Christians dispute dispute among themselves, How can this man give us his flesh to eat, his blood to drink? I mean, this has been uh, one of the biggest theological debates in Christian history. And yet Jesus clarified it to the people here in in this chapter, John 6. But note what Jesus says. Notice he doesn't say in the next verse. When they dispute among themselves, how can he give us his flesh to eat? He doesn't say, look, calm down. 
you're taking me far too literally. I really don't mean my flesh, my body, my person, or my actual blood and life. I'm speaking symbolically that I feed you spiritually with my word. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. Later we'll see that many of them um, turned and left him and no longer followed him. And he doesn't say, come back, come back. You're, you're taking me too literally. Come back. He does not say that. He lets them walk away because they've rejected his teaching that the bread and wine is to be identified with him, his own body, his own blood, his person, his life, his death, his resurrection. So he doesn't say, baby, come back. Good song. Anyway. So they say, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And this is what he does say. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly. Not sort of. Truly, truly. Or as it says in the King James, verily, verily. I love that. I mean, he's saying, truly, truly. I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Why? Because Jesus' life, Jesus identifies himself with the living bread. Jesus offers this bread to us to partake in and to drink of the cup, which is his blood, his very life, poured out for us and then raised in victory over sin and death forever. And if we partake of it, we partake of him, and he is life. So not to partake of it is not to partake in life. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So he's saying it again, again and again and again, not once when they dispute among themselves or quarrel among themselves or even walk away, does he say, no, please don't go, you're, you're, you're taking me too literally. No, every time they quarrel among themselves or argue among themselves or, or threaten to walk away and then actually do from him, he just insists even more on the teaching that he is present in a special way. So he does it again in verse 55, in case we missed it the first ten times. He says, Jesus says, For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. So I am giving of my flesh, my body, my temple my person, my blood, my life, to you as food. That by partaking of me, you might partake in eternal life. But in case we missed it, 
Next verse, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. So now we know another thing about the Eucharist. To partake of it is to abide in Jesus, but also Jesus in us. We become living tabernacles of the presence of the Lord. In many, uh, at least higher Anglican churches, there's a tabernacle somewhere in the sanctuary, but in many times immediately behind the altar where the reserve sacrament is kept uh, to be taken to the sick and for some people to come and to uh, pray in the, uh, the sacramental presence of the Lord. And there's a light that burns always in the church so that if you come in in the dark and you see that light, you know that Christ is present in the tabernacle. You know he is present in that special way. And yet we are to become the living tabernacles of Christ. Christ will abide in him and he and us. And we are to become the sanctuary lamp, to be the light, his light in the world. In fact, if we're not going to take it out, which is what the word the mass means, mass, into the world, then we really don't need a tabernacle or a sanctuary lamp here. We come here to be fed by him and with him that we might become living tabernacles and his light in the world. And this idea of being sent continues in the next verse. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, he has had life from the Father from all eternity. So he who eats me will live because of me. So he's had from all eternity life from the Father because the Father is the source or the fountain of the Godhead from whom the Son is eternally begotten and from whom the Spirit eternally proceeds. And now we who share in him and he in us, we now have life in him. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not such as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. This he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many of his disciples, when they heard it, said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples murmured at it, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Do you take offense at my teaching? Do you take offense that I desire to give you life? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending where he was before? Who is he but the very bread that has come down from heaven? Now, um, some will argue that um, this particular uh, passage in Scripture is not about the sacrament um, because Jesus hadn't instituted it yet. But, of course, he's teaching and preparing them 
for, <clears throat> for when he does institute the sacrament. Also, uh, the early church fathers believed that this passage was about uh, the sacrament and its relationship to, to Christ. Um, the one thing I have a hard time understanding is, you know, the, the term high church and low church didn't initially mean liturg- liturgical worship. It wasn't like whether you wore vestments or had incense or anything like that. It had to do with more of a high theological view of things versus a lower theological view of things. And, and they believed in order to emphasize the, the gospel, right? But, you know, I, I just think about, um, some of you know this story, but I'll, I'll share it briefly with you, that uh, when I was a little boy, my favorite picture of uh, my dad uh, and me was, uh, I was one year, year old, and he's, he's holding me in his arms, uh, and uh, we're up at Pemaquid Point in uh, Maine, in Bristol, Maine, at the lighthouse. Uh, and that's my favorite picture. And when I was older, but still a little boy, he gave me that picture in a little frame. And I put it on my dresser, and it's been on every dresser I've had, wherever I've moved. Um, and then uh, in uh, June, on June 30th of 2001, um, my dad died, and I got the call in the middle of the night. Uh, and I was uh, single, I was by myself, and got the call that he had died. And I, I went in, and I was holding that picture and leaning against my dresser. Dad? <laughs> that is how the story goes, Dad. <laughs> um, <laughs> you might want to play that back and see if you see anything. Anyway, uh, um, and I was leaning against the dresser, holding the picture and, and crying, naturally. And um, I don't know why, because I had never taken the picture out of its frame. I don't know why, but it, it, it didn't seem enough uh, to me to just hold the frame with the picture in it. I wanted to actually hold the picture. And so I removed the picture for the first time ever, since my dad had given it to me, from this little frame. And um, I know that you, Deacon Purvain. <laughs> uh, and I removed it, and when I took out the picture, a note fell out. And I had never known that there was a note in there. And the note said, Michael, my son, whatever you are in life, I'm proud of you and I love you. Walk with God. Love, Dad. And literally, uh, in that moment, that was one of the most precious gifts that I had ever received. If I... Um, why would I ever have a low view of such a gift that my dad, uh, seemingly by God's grace, was there to comfort me at the time of his death, 
by God's grace. I mean, God arranged those things. It wasn't my dad didn't have foreknowledge of it, right? Um, but by God's grace, why would I ha- have a low view of that gift? I wouldn't. It's a very valuable gift. I have a very high view of the gift. So I find it very hard when it comes to Holy Communion, regardless of liturgy, you know, liturgy. I'm not talking about high or low church liturgy. I'm talking just theologically speaking. Why would anyone have a low view of a gift? If we believe even a little bit that this is the gift, a gift from Jesus himself, that he has given. Why have you given it, Lord? For the life of the world. And what is it that you give to us, Lord? My flesh. For my body is, my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. Why would we ever have a low view of that? Now, I agree with my brothers and sisters who identify themselves as low church. I agree that we want to have a very high view of the gospel and of the authority of God's word and living out God's word and bringing that word to the world, right, that so desperately needs it. But I think it's possible to have a high view of the, of the gospel and the authority of, and primacy of Holy Scripture and a high view of the sacrament of his body and blood. <clears throat> now, to be fair, unless I get emails from people who watch this, there are people who are very low church in their liturgical expression who have a very devout uh, or, let's say, high view of the sacrament of Christ's presence. Okay, But for those who don't, um, who spend a lot of time trying to de-emphasize it, um, I just, I'm baffled by that. I'm baffled by that. Scripture seems very clear that this bread that we break, this cup that we bless, is a communion, a koinonia, a partaking in, a fellowship with the body and blood of Christ, as Paul himself says. Um, we do it in remembrance, anamnesis, where something of salvation history becomes a present reality for us in the moment, a breaking, a breaking through into that moment so we can become partakers of that event in salvation history. Um, what a beautiful, beautiful thing it is that we have in the sacrament of Christ's body and blood to share in his life even now and to be being prepared for the resurrection on the last day and to share in eternal life and the forgiveness of our sins. Uh, what, a, what, a, what an incredible, incredible gift. So it, it, it's hard for me for those who just take it symbolic. Um, Jesus here is very clear um, uh, that he doesn't say to them, don't take me literally on this because that's not what I mean. That's not what he says. Every time they get upset, he strengthens the argument. It's like one more time, right? But then he says to the apostles, and it doesn't say whether he was sad or not, but I always imagine that he was sad seeing some walk away. And he, says, he turns to them and says, will you too go away? And Peter says, Lord, 
where shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And I've always taken it this way, that what Peter was saying is, Lord, in one sense, we're with them. We don't get it. This is a hard saying, right? And that's because it is a mystery, right? But we don't have to fully understand it to receive it because you have said it and you have the words of eternal life. So uh, we will receive it by faith and trust in your word and then will grow in our understanding. Any questions? Susan. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I don't recall that I was. I went to church all my life. Yeah. And he was the son of God, which placed him in a lower position. Yeah. And, but it, it made all the difference to me when, when I learned that he was God incarnate. Yes, absolutely. And that's why he teaches this here. He's, he doesn't hide it. He's, they will all be taught by God. And he's the one teaching them. And then he says, I am the living bread. So he's, he's teaching that as well. But you're absolutely right. Um, the Western church, and I'm generalizing now, but the Western church is Arian. <laughs> um, Arianism. Uh, Arius was a, uh, um, a heretical uh, priest, presbyter from Alexandria, who, who taught that, um, that Jesus was superior to all other parts of creation, but was inferior to God. So to us, he was superior, but to God, he is inferior. And, um, and I think a lot of people, even sitting in the pew, f- believe that. And, and it, it's, it's heretical. It's not what the scriptures teach. It's not what uh, the apostles taught. It's not what the early fathers believed. It's not what the councils and creeds profess. Um, I sometimes have said, you know, we call him the son of God because this is the relationship he has with the first person of the Holy Trinity, uh, the father who is the source and the fountain of the Godhead. Um, And so there is an order within the Trinity, but order doesn't necessarily deem inequality. In fact, we know from the scriptures that they are equal. Um, But that Jesus... Um, uh, humble uh, in, 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 he humbles himself and, um, and uh, um, to the authority of the Father. Even I'm hesitating here, I'm scanning in my mind. It, 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 we get into tricky waters here. You don't want to say anything, especially when you're being filmed, that's heretical, you know? Um, so, but right, but Jesus does submit in humility to the Father because the Father is the source and the fountain of the Godhead. Um, but it's not that they are, are, are unequal. And so... I bet that's widely misunderstood. 
They misunderstood. And also for the Jews, they couldn't partake of blood. Right? And so this teaching was offensive to them in that way, too. You know? If you read the first, say, five or six lines of, of the Gospel of John, it's almost impossible not to believe it. Um, right. It's like looking in multiple mirrors at each other. I mean, mm-hmm. Yes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So, uh, to paraphrase, in the beginning was the Son of God, and the Son of God was with his Father, and the Son of God is God. Yeah. Any other questions or thoughts? Yes, Deacon. Yes. You know, it, it reminds me, too, if we, and this came to me in a, for a sermon once, and it actually, I believe it comes from God, and it helped me, too. If I give someone my word and they trust me, they believe that their, my word will be fulfilled to the best of my ability, right? If we trust the Lord, he has given us his word, Right? He has given us his word. Come in, Kevin. And so uh, we, you know, we have, do we trust him? Then we know he's going to bring his word to fruition. Right? He's going to bring his word to fruition. Yeah. Absolutely. Anybody else? Well, thank you very much for, for coming here. And uh, God bless you. And Remember these words uh, the next time you're receiving Holy Communion. And uh, um, we won't have it next week, but the following week we will. And uh, we'll be looking at the teaching, uh, continuing in looking at the Sacrament of Christ's Body and Blood. And also, um, uh, I'm going to bring in a few quotes from the early church fathers and uh, uh, regarding it as well. As we looked at Justin Martyr last week. We're going to look at a couple of others. And if you're really lucky and if you're good, I'll even bring a quote in from Gregory of Nyssa. 